All right, let's take our Bibles, and I want you to go straight to the book of Acts, chapter number 9. Acts, chapter number 9. And that song is going to linger with me for the rest of the night. Do they see Jesus in me? That ought to be our chief concern. And if the answer is no, they do not see Jesus in you, then let's not settle for that. But let's let the Holy Spirit do a work in us which conforms us to the image of God in order to accomplish the purpose of God so that he might receive all the glory from our lives. Here we are in Acts chapter number 9. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. This will be a familiar passage. I'm going to read a number of verses here in Acts chapter number 9. And then I'm cheating. I have it the next passage marked. But if you want to get ahead, you're welcome to. I'm going to read a number of verses here in Acts chapter 9. Then I'm going to read one verse in Galatians chapter 1. Here we are in Acts chapter number 9. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, that they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. He fell to the earth, and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth. And when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight. And neither did eat nor drink. You know much of what takes place in the Apostle Paul's life from that point. There's a place that changed it all. But I'm interested in what the Bible says in Galatians chapter 1, verse number 17. For the Bible says, Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia. And notice this phrase, and returned again to Damascus. Father, I pray that you would help us tonight. Father, I ask that you would do a work in our hearts that I am unable to do with my voice. I pray that your word would speak clearly to us. And Father, I ask that you would empty me of myself, Lord, that you would fill me with your spirit. And Father, that you would accomplish that which you desire in the hearts and minds of your people tonight. Draw us near, whichever the case. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'd like to preach a message this evening entitled, Back to Damascus. Back to Damascus. 
I won't belabor the point of this story here in Acts chapter number 9, for I believe that many, if not all of you, are intensely familiar with it. Uh, you know exactly why Saul was on his way to Damascus in the first place. It was to bring Christians under the persecution of his vengeful spirit. It was his desire to drag them kicking and screaming to take their lives and to squash the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you know, as we just read, as he came closer and closer to the city of Damascus, as he was yet still far outside of those gates, there was a bright shining light which appeared suddenly from heaven and he fell to the earth. And I love the picturesque language of this as we get to hear and see a conversation which those who were present could not hear nor see. For when asked about it, those that were in the company of Saul, later renamed Paul, that glorious apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, when those who were in his company were asked about it, they didn't have any idea that anyone was speaking. They saw nothing out of the ordinary, but it absolutely shook the foundations of Saul's life. He was forever changed. There have been times in my life where I have been under experiences that were so transformative that every time I go back to those places, I cannot help but remember what happened in my life there. It's not unusual for me to be home. Well, it is unusual for me to be home um, all the way back to the house that my parents raised me. But if I'm there, it is not unusual usual for me to pass through the kitchen, a, a kitchen that I sat down at and ate breakfast, lunch, and dinner so many days. A kitchen in which, yes, I received spankings at the hand of my mother, and Lord help me if it was ever my father. It was in that kitchen when I was told to go to bed that I would sneak out of my bed sometimes and look into the reflection of the washing machine and watch the TV after I should have been in bed. And it was from that kitchen that I would flee when my mother would discover me. In that kitchen my mom would sit because she knew her boy was supposed to be home at 11 o'clock every night, not 11.01. And in that kitchen when all the other lights in the house were off, I could see the glow of the kitchen light if I pulled into the driveway just one moment too late. A lot of memories in that kitchen, but there's one that I think about above all. A time in which, while in that kitchen, I bowed my head and received the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. That chair became my priestly place. It be, that table became my altar. And I received Christ as my Savior. And despite all of the other things that happened in that kitchen, so many times I go through there and chills go up my spine just at the thought of the time that I met the Lord there and that the Lord met me. 
me. And I imagine that as Paul comes back to Damascus, yes, he's going to preach, and yes, he's going to declare Christ, and yes, he's going to find opposition, ironically enough, the same type of opposition which he desired to bring there in the first place. But I can only imagine as he comes back to Damascus, as it's still a little ways off in the distance, and it comes past that one place, that one place on the Damascus road where he went blind physically, but his eyes were open spiritually. And here we see in Galatians chapter 1 that after that, he came back to Damascus. And I personally believe this in the life of every single believer that there ought to be many times where we come back to Damascus to remember some things. To remember some things that the Lord did for us. To remember the time where the Lord was real and we tasted and saw that He was good. And this evening, I just wanted to come back to Damascus. I want to make some observations about Paul's experience there that we should also share. The first thing that I want to point out about his experience here in Damascus, no doubt the Apostle Paul remembered the grueling confrontation. In fact, in Acts chapter number 9, it depicts this confrontation so well. In verses number 3 and 4, the Bible says, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? I love that phrase in verse number 3, as the Bible says, And as he journeyed. We need to be reminded as we come back to our own Damascus that there was a time in our life as we journeyed about our own business, as we were pursuing our own endeavors while we were trying to accomplish our own mission that Jesus Christ met us there. And even when we were not looking for Him, He was looking for us. And we need to be reminded that Jesus came to see seeking to save that which is lost. And on that Damascus day in our life, we were the lost sheep. We were the lost coin. We were the, uh, the one that was lost, that was now found. And here, Jesus comes to Paul, but there, Jesus came to us. And we need to remember that just as with Paul, I imagine true with you, that there is a grueling confrontation. Oh, Jesus began to point out the fact that Paul was persecuting him, that Paul had sinned, that Paul was far from him. And by the way, that Paul was not running to him either. In fact, it seemed quite the opposite. In the narration of this story, Paul was going from Jerusalem to this place of Damascus in order to do quite the opposite of what Jesus desired for him to do. We need to be reminded that when we were as far away from God as we could have possibly been, that that is where Jesus met us. Amen. So, Pastor Jared, why is that lesson so important? Well, I'm glad you asked. You're such an inquisitive audience. It's because sometimes even after we've been saved, we can get awfully far from our Lord. 
And we can get to a place, maybe not as far as Paul, but we can get to a place where we feel like there's so much distance between us and the Lord. And there has been a life that once was on fire for the Lord, and now it seems to drift like a ship without a rudder or a sail along this spiritual life, and yet we're going nowhere, we feel nothing. It seems like God isn't there. And if He is, He is some distant place caring for someone else and we can get to a place even after we are saved where we feel so alone and so forgotten and so forsaken a place of doubt and a place of despair a place where we look to the heavens and we wonder God where are you and we live in the depths and feel no conviction and we feel no agony and we feel no presence of the Lord And when we look back to Damascus, we need to be reminded that even when we were as far away from God as we possibly could have been, there was a grueling confrontation. And it was a grueling confrontation not because the Lord was was having to wring His hands, but because we were the ones that had to come to terms with our own sin. And you might be a long ways off from the Lord here this evening and feel like you have have taken for granted the grace that God has given you and you just cannot face the Lord again. Perhaps you're even in the sanctuary tonight and you haven't heard the voice of the Lord. You haven't um, felt the conviction of the Lord in a very long time. And you feel that maybe you'll never be able to get back to that relationship you had with Him when you walked out of dimension. Damascus seeing once again. And friend, if that's you, let me remind you that the Apostle Paul did not end up in a place of closeness with the Lord until he first fell to his face. Oh, the Bible says in verse number 4 that he fell to the earth. I can imagine Galatians chapter 1 verse 17 as the dusty sandals of that, that weary apostle were coming up on Damascus that he comes to that same sand where he fell to his face and acknowledged that God was God and that He was not. Friends, we need to get back to Damascus. We need to get back to a place where we're willing to fall on our face and realize that our church-going behavior is not what saved us. And our church-going behavior is not what will keep us. It is the grace of our God. And there's got to be a sensitivity, a conviction of spirit that realizes that our God is holy and He is high and lifted up. And even the angels, far more holy than us, in His presence failed to even look on His face for with twain they covered their feet with twain they did fly but with the other two they covered their face for He is holy, holy, holy and may we be reminded that when God confronts us that yes, there should be conviction yes, there should be pain yes, there should be agony because it is His grace that brings us clear and not our our righteous behavior and we need to come before him and realize that maybe we've gotten far too comfortable in how we are. As Paul goes back to Damascus, 
I believe he remembered that grueling confrontation. There's another thing that I think we ought to take into consideration as Paul goes back to Damascus. Not only did he remember the grueling confrontation, but no doubt he remembered the glorious conversation. Now you may not define this conversation as glorious, but the way that my eyes read it makes my face smile. Verse number 4 says, He fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? In verse number 5, the conversation continues, and he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, and the conversation continues, I am Jesus. I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And in verse number 6, the conversation continues. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And in the conclusion of verse number 6, the conversation continues. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And as I'm looking and I'm thinking about this, I'm wondering what was in the mind of the Apostle Paul when he came back to Damascus. No doubt there is there's feelings of remorse. As he remembered the reason that he was making this journey in the first place. Were there things that I wish that I wouldn't do? I have remorse over those as well. But the Lord has saved me and I thank Him for it. Do you realize that this is the place, not just of his remorse, but this is the place where he came face to face with Jesus Christ. And where not only did he speak with God, but God spoke with him. Now friends, you can try all day to tell me that my God is not real. You can come up with theories about how this world came into existence, about how some infinitesimally small little dot exploded and out of that explosion came everything. And you can try your best to convince me that the sun and the moon and the stars are some total accident. And you can do your best to convince me that you evolved from a rock. And you probably did. I didn't, but maybe you did. I don't know. And you can try your best to convince me that that after death there's nothing that you're just going to disappear into the dust and there's nothing else and you can try to convince me that there is no God and you can throw everything you can at me but one thing you cannot take and one thing you'll never be able to convince me of is that He's not real and I'll tell you why because I've seen Him I've heard Him I've felt Him He's strengthened me He's been there with me and I'm telling you when Paul came back to Damascus and despite everything going on he knew God was real and God is real you see it was the place of his glorious conversation and we are the worst of all people sometimes where the God of heaven will descend down into our presence he will bend his ear toward our prayer request and as we mumble our lips towards him as 
as our heart bursts for us to be heard of Him, He hears us. And then what does He do? And then He answers us. Oh yes, and sometimes He answers us through the clarity of His Word and sometimes He answers us in such obvious ways where we know that He is present. I love the testimony of Miss Ashton Reisiger as she was praying about that KitchenAid mixer. I would never pray for a KitchenAid mixer. I would pray for someone to use one to bake me something. I would do that. But just the little tokens of good that God gives. And as Paul crosses Damascus, coming back one more time, he does remember, no doubt, that grueling confrontation. But that was also the place of that glorious conversation. And I'll tell you this, if it, if it happened once before, it can happen again. I don't mean go back and get saved again. But what I mean is this, is that if you are purchased of God, if He is yours and you are His, if He is your child, and if, if you are His child and He is your Father, He wants to have a conversation with you. He wants to speak with you. He wants to be heard by you more than you want to hear Him. And He wants to hear you more than you want to be heard. And as Paul comes back to Damascus, he remembers that glorious conversation. You know how to discover in the life of the believer is that sometimes it seems like we stop hearing from God. Now I could give a thousand different reasons of why that could be. Perhaps you've been running from the Lord and He's been convicting you and you've been persistent in your way. That could be a reason. So, Pastor Jared, that's not been my life. I've been just continuing on, but I just haven't heard from him in a while. And so many times, it's not that we've gone off into sin, it's that we've stopped the conversation. That's good. Did you notice how many times Paul and the Lord Jesus Christ are dialoguing back and forth? You know, it seems like I've, I've never really heard that preached or even illuminated here in the Scripture because we are so focused on the content of what's happening and the life that is so miraculously changed and the power that is now coming upon Paul as he is called to be the apostle to the Gentiles. But could you just step into the details for just a moment and look at the fact that between verse number 4, verse number 5, and verse number 6, in each of those verses, you have... A man in Saul speaking with the Creator God. And then the Creator God speaking with Paul. And it's a conversation. It's back and forth. It's not just God saying, Alright, you slacker, clean it up and get going. No, it's Saul, Saul. I love the fact that the conversation began with Saul's name. What if Saul would have never answered back? Who art thou, Lord? He answers back. We don't always have an answer. Sometimes it's just a question. You ever get in a conversation with someone that you really wish you were not in a conversation with anymore? Yeah, so this is my mode. And I shouldn't show my hand because now, <laughs> whenever we're talking, you're going to be looking for it. But I'll tell you anyways. But about the best way to end a conversation is to quit contributing to it. You just kind of fold your arms, kind of look like this. Start to 
If you start to look a little disengaged, that helps too. <laughs> oh, 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 what were you saying? Oh no, I asked a question. <laughs> you know, the problem is we do that in our spiritual lives. Yeah. Lord says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And then he answers. How many times has the Lord called our names? And yes, maybe it was in that still, small voice, Andrew, Andrew. Chris, Chris. Keith, Keith. Now we find someone that's asleep. Man, y'all are all awake tonight. But how many times has He called our names? And maybe He didn't call them specifically by name, but either through the reading of God's Word or through the preaching of God's Word while you're just silently driving down the road. There is this, this presence of conviction that comes into your life. The Lord brings back to your memory something that's not right, that needs fixed. And the Holy Spirit starts to work and immediately you begin to squash it or push it out. And the last thing that you want to say is, Lord, what would that have me to do? Because that was the climax of Paul's side of the conversation. He stopped trying to figure out, oh, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. This is the one that I've been persecuting. And once he found out that it was the Lord that was on the other end of that line. He said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And how many times could the Lord bring us back to Damascus, a place of glorious conversation, if we would just start answering His call again? Oh, I've known young men on fire for the Lord, so I've been called to preach. And I run into them several years later. Hey, are you walking with the Lord? And they're so far away. Why? Because they turned their back on the conversation. I've seen fathers in tears on an altar convicted about things going on in their home and in their marriage and they get so thoroughly right with the Lord and they're fired up at that place in Damascus but then they depart from it and they never go back to it and they never make good on their promises. Why? Because they forgot that there's a glorious conversation going on between them and God and God has called them for a purpose. And sometimes... Sometimes we just need to go back to Damascus. Remember that grueling confrontation. Remember the glorious conversation. I'll give you another one that I, I noticed from this text that I, I could only imagine Paul sharing this in conversation as he travels. I'll go ahead and give it to you. It's, it's the grievous confusion confusion. Not Paul's confusion, but everybody else's. I want you to notice what the Bible says. I've always found this very interesting. Look at verse number 7. The Bible says, And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. Hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And I, I don't know about you, but if I were traveling with Paul and we're coming up on Damascus, hey Paul, tell me the story. Was it here? Was it over there? Was it there? And he points it out. No, it was right here. It's right here. So come on, let's walk over there. Please, Paul, please. He's like, all right, if you insist. And he starts telling, telling the story. 
And one thing about standing there is you start looking around and you start imagining it and you start picturing it. We don't do that enough, by the way, when we read our Bibles. Uh, we read them like it's just some fictitious story. No, you can actually go to the towns. You can go to the places. Uh, these were real people. Saul was just a little boy born in Tarsus, raised by his family in Judaism, took over to Jerusalem to be taught at the feet of Gamaliel. And, and the Lord called him to preach and saved his life there at Damascus. It was a real event. You get on a plane right now, fly over to Syria. No, I don't recommend it. But you could do it. You could fly over to Syria and you could go to, Ma to Damascus and stand in the same place where this happened. This was real. And I can imagine standing there with Paul telling me the story. And he's starting to tell me the story about the bright light and falling to his face and this glorious conversation. The overwhelming conviction and how he just surrenders himself to the Lord. And I could just see it and I, I can imagine my Myself, kind of looking around and, and then he, he reminds that, that when he got up he had to have someone take him because he couldn't see. Now I don't know about your mind but in mine I, I'm, I'm, and I'm ignoring everybody else. I'm seeing Paul. I'm seeing bright light. I'm hearing voices. I'm seeing a life changed. And then he starts saying I was blinded. So well then they had to lead me to Damascus. And then I'm reminded there are, there are other people there. And as my pastor always says, they were as confused as a termite and a yo-yo. They didn't know up, down, sideways, didn't have, didn't have a clue what to do. And it's good for us to remember that once you've seen Him, it'll change your life. But there's some people that journey with us sometimes, they've just never seen Him. They have just never seen Him. And the Bible says, The men which journeyed with Him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And I don't know if they heard and understood the words that were being said, or if it was kind of the reverse of what happened there on the day of Pentecost, where they heard a voice but couldn't really understand what that voice was saying to Paul and only Paul. I have no idea the answers to your questions on that. But what I do know is they didn't have a clue what was going on. They were confused about why Paul was on the ground and why he couldn't see and why he needed to, to, to be led on and, and what happened here in this whole story. And we need to be reminded that when we make our trip back to our Damascus, there are some people that used to journey with us that didn't know didn't understand what the Lord did back then and they're probably still in our vicinity, those kind of people. And they look at our lives and they're the ones that are always questioning, always criticizing. Why are you getting up early and going to church on Sunday? It's Wednesday night and you really got to go to church? Come on, friend. Let's go do something else. And they see you giving to the Lord and they see you surrendering to the Lord and they see you staying away from the wickedness of this world and they're wondering why on earth would any anyone want to do that? And quite frankly, the, David had the same problem. He looked over at the heathen and he thought, why do the heathen prosper? And sometimes we get our eyes on everyone else the same way that David did. And we need to go back to our Damascus and be reminded that we can't expect them to know what we know, live like we live, and love God like we love God because they've never seen Him. <coughs> 
from this point forward, Paul was not interested in, in their input in his life. He didn't say, Hey, everybody around me, what should I do? He said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Sometimes we need to go back to Damascus. And I'll give you just, just one more and we'll be done tonight. If you would, please look with me at verse number 9. <coughs> Excuse me. If I could, were to go back to verse 8, the Bible says, Saul arose from the earth and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And verse number 9 gives us a very interesting piece of information. And he was there three days without sight. And neither did eat nor drink. Could you just put yourself in that place for a moment? Without sight. Three days. I may have told you this story before, so if so, you can just not listen for the next two minutes. But <clears throat> when I was a boy, I had, we had bunk beds, and we had these camouflage curtains because I wanted to be in the army when I grew up. And they would black out the sunlight. I mean, not, not one little peep of sunlight would come through those curtains. When the lights were off and the door was closed, you couldn't see a thing. My brother was on the bottom bunk, I was on the top bunk. We had a little alarm clock below us and it, I, I don't know why he, well I do know why because he's a lazy bum, still is. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but the alarm would go off in the morning and he, it was within arm reach of this little excuse for a brother, but he would never hit the snooze. He would never turn the alarm off. That was my job. But I did it with gusto. <clears throat> I jumped off the top bed, top bunk, and boom, would hit it with my hand. I kind of enjoyed doing it. I might bring that back. Well, since it was so dark in our room, what I would do every single morning, I would look over the top bunk, and I could look down, and I could see the red numbers on the light, and that's what guided my approach. And I can remember one specific morning, I, I woke up, and I looked down, and I couldn't see the numbers. At first I thought, okay, maybe there's something in the way, so I'd move my head this way, move my head that way, you know, trying to find those red numbers. And I couldn't see them, couldn't see them, and I started to get really scared. That's like eight, nine years old, something like that. I'm really getting fearful, like my heart's pounding. I'm, I'm taking my fingers and I'm touching my eyes because I think, are my eyes closed? It's like, no, they're actually open. And then when I could feel with my fingers that my eyeballs were open which is a weird feeling. <laughs> and I still couldn't see. I thought I went blind. I, thought I, I really thought I went blind. I started screaming. I mean like a little girl screaming. <laughs> I can't see! I'm blind! I felt like Bartimaeus. I'm blind! I'm blind! And it, you know, big commotion. You know, my brother's like, what's going on? I'm blind! My mom throws the door open, throws the light on. And I realized, I was actually, the bunk beds were against the wall, and I was on the opposite side. I was really just this far from the wall. 
Never said it was smart. <laughs> I'm blind! It, it sounds funny right now. It was not funny. I thought I was going to be blind for the rest of my life. I mean, I was already picturing the white cane and, you know, getting old and nobody care about me and I, you know, just stepping in all kinds of stuff. It, it was like my life was flashing before my eyes. And here Paul is. And I can only imagine the terror. That blindness, surely it's permanent. I just had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, the same one whom I was trying to persecute. Surely this punishment is permanent. Three days he sat there. What's the point of eating or drinking? What's the point of any of that? And this guy comes by, sent by the Lord. And he's given sight. He's given sight. And now Paul's walking back to Damascus. And I'm sure he's remembering his salvation. He's remembering the, those conversation, that conversation. He's remember those that were with him, how they were so clueless and just didn't get it. But if I ever went blind for three days in my life, I think I'd remember that too. And he's going back and he's remembering how gracious God was. How he's there to persecute Christ and believers. And not only does Jesus give him eternal life, but he reminds him how frail he is. He reminds him how much he's going to need God in his life. And he's reminded that here he is, this wicked, sinful, persecuting man. And Jesus gives him blindness, but then heals him from that. And it reminds him how gracious and how good God is. And sometimes we forget how gracious God has been to us. And we may look at some drunk and think God is going to judge them. And we may look at someone who's made a lot of poor decisions in their life and how God has, has still given them life and say, oh, God's been good to them. But how about you go back to Damascus in your lone life. And how about we remember that God has shown us grace. That God has been good to us. And whenever you get far away from the Lord, I'm telling you, He still wants you back. His grace is sufficient. It covers all of our sin. And I don't care if you were saved two days ago, two weeks ago, two years ago, or a lifetime ago. Let me tell you, His grace is still sufficient. And if you've been far away, you need to go back to Damascus. And remember and contemplate how good God's been. Oh, Paul, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 17, went back to Damascus. And maybe that's where we need to find ourselves this evening.